2: We're
3: here. Hey everyone, we're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after the show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal Stories of Soccer Legends. Narrated by fellow Blue Wire host Brandon Kelly, each Monday, two new episodes will take a look at some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers.
2: From Holland, Zlatan, Messi, Rapinoe, and many more, each episode will focus on historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after the episode and listen to the Golden Goal stories of soccer legends wherever you get your podcast. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man, Andreas Hale. We have a packed show today. A lot of UFC talk on the back end of the show. UFC 251 happened over the weekend. Jorge Masvidal got paid. We gotta talk about that. Also, uh, we have boxing to talk about. Some unfortunate news in boxing. A very talented young fighter passes away. So we'll touch on that as well. Throwing some hip-hop, some Nick Cannon talk. It's going to be a pretty, pretty fun show, if you ask me. And Dre, I want to say I don't miss the States. I'm in Puerto Rico. I should be doing this shit from the pool. I told you I was going to, but unfortunately, we're recording too late. It's getting dark outside, and I don't go in the water when it's dark. So I'm inside sweating because it's 76% humidity in Puerto Rico right now, 90 degrees. But as soon as this is done, I'm
3: back in the pool. Yeah, lucky you. Look, you're having fun in Puerto Rico. You want to know what I'm doing? This is my fun. I have restarted a new season of NBA 2K because I've been without playing NBA 2K for mad long. I've added six expansion teams, including the Las Vegas Aces. I did a fantasy draft. Where there are no duplicate classic players, so it's the best version of every player in the game, and I drafted a team and started a new season. That's my fun. While you're out there in water and enjoying Puerto Rico, I'm playing NBA 2K. Oh, with classic players, huh? With everybody, Mister, I do everything by the book. There's no season right now, so there's no reason for me to. So I redraft. I did to make it fun. I did. There's thirty. There's thirty-four teams now with six expansion teams. And I redrafted everything. There's no, I didn't cheat. I did a fantasy draft, so I didn't end up with like Jordan. I didn't end up with it. I didn't end up with LeBron. I ended up my first pick ended up being Joel Embiid because I ended up getting like the second to last pick, and I got like Baron Davis, Stephon Marbury. Uh, who else I got? Baron Your Davis. Is horrible. Mar- no, nah, it's it's not bad. It's, it's in fun. the grand scheme of classic players, like. And beat is your number one pick? Well, see, what happens is, like, it, it, the teams that got the its a snake draft. So the teams that got the first pick ended up with, like, a shitty second-round pick. So I've got—I got the best version of Baron Davis, who dunks on everybody. I've got, like—I got Larry Johnson. I ended up with Aaron Gordon. Uh, like I said, I got Marbury. I got, like, Dan Marley. I still I got, feel like you drafted horribly. I drafted the best players on
2: the board. I don't know how many classic players there are available, but Embiid's is not a top fifty player in the NBA. So even if you had pick number thirty-four, somehow you should have ended up with something. Charles, um, Dr. J, no. you should have had something. Someone,
3: Giannis,
1: you gotta go Steph. With the best
3: players by position. Giannis went early, like LeBron went first and Jordan went second, actually, in the league. What about <laughs> the Diesel? Diesel went like ninth. No, he went earlier than that. Like Kobe went to the Clippers. Uh so yeah, the best player on the board was either it was Joel Embiid or who was, who was like a 91 in the game. And she can shoot three, so you need to stretch five anyway. Or it was somebody else like that couldn't stretch the floor. So I ended up with him. And then like Baron Davis, the best version of Baron Davis is actually pretty nice. He's like an 89. I'd take the best version of Dwight Howard over the best version of Joel Embiid. I wouldn't. I think Joel Embiid is going to be top 20 if he stays healthy. If he stays healthy. That Dude. is the wackest hot take you've had. Top 20? Yeah, if he stays healthy. If he stays healthy, I think he could possibly crack the top 20. Have you seen the numbers this dude's been putting up when healthy? It's absurd what he's doing. Yeah, I think he's had one healthy season. Maybe. Maybe. He- he was healthy. Greg Oden would have been great if he was healthy. Like no, that's Greg Oden. That's, Odin, that's not a hor- That's a horrible comparison. Greg Oden. I'm even just saying, if like, yeah. healthy, Embiid. If he's healthy, the tools that he's got are ridiculous.
2: <sighs> B, That's early, but it's all right. It, I like dude, to see how you're filling your time. That's early. Lo-
3: it's a long way to go for Embiid, but he's still crazy young. He's, he's got tools. So I drafted him. I drafted him my first pick. That was the best, like dead ass. It was the best player on the board. The best player on That's, the board. That is tough. That is tough. Because if you put in classic players,
2: even just one version of them, that would be that would mean to me that Joel Embiid is a top thirty-five player of all time.
3: Is t- if you couldn't find 30. anyone better than him, yeah, top uh, thirty-five according to ratings. Like if you go with the reins with the league and how these players play, like obviously, Bird's off the board. Dwayne Wade's off the board. Even Carmelo Anthony's off the board that early. Uh, but even when you really think about I'm it. I'm not sure if he's in my top twenty picks of current players. Who Carmelo?
2: Or No, Embiid. Who? I think I'm picking Zion ahead of him, Trey Young, I would I mean Luca. Like there, there's other young players. Kawhi, obviously, both Smash Brothers, uh both Rockets guards,
3: yeah, LeBron A. D. But see, then you have sen- like, like dude, th- There's there's depth.
2: twenty players better than him now.
3: There is no, there's not 20 players better than Embiid right now. No. At least 15. I just yeah. named 15 at least. Dog, dog. No. No. 15 better than Embiid right now? I, I, no. I could have kept going. No. <laughs> I, just, I I no. stopped. And you got to go by position. Like, think about it. In centers in the league that can shoot the ball, that can play defense, how many are there? You got to go All by right. depth. There's a if ton of If
2: we're taking depth. classic players, then I don't care. They're just going to bully him in the post anyway. Because he should stand no – no shot against Elijah Wan, Duncan, KG.
3: They were all off the board.
2: Shaq. All off like, the board. Yo, that's so crazy.
3: They I all, don't know how
2: so many people went. That's the
3: that's the thing that troubles me. How are all of these people gone? Somewhere the math fucks up. Dude, I was the second to last pick in the first round. And I think it was 35 or 36 teams. Second to last pick.
2: I applaud you for having high morals. Because even if I do a fantasy draft. If I get any pick lower than 10, oh, oh, we're just restarting that draft. See, come on, man. I, but see, that's the difference. Between like, me. I <laughs> like, I'm good. I can't do it. I'll take, like, I'll take ten. I don't gotta get one. I'll take ten. No, I'm but good. I ain't getting
3: thirty-four. But see, I have depth because it's a snake draft. I have depth. Like I said, I have Embiid. I have the best version of Barry Davis. I have the best version of Larry Johnson. I have depth on my team. Who's my shooting guard? Sure, you won't even cheat the computer. I got Devin Booker. That's a good pick. Uh, no, I won't cheat. I play the, the way my the way the hand is dealt. Like if I would have had top five pick, I would have played it out. I play with a hand that I got dealt. The Timberwolves ended up with Giannis and Ben Simmons, and I can't fucking stop those two for nothing. Giannis is unstoppable in the game. Period. But you put pairing with Ben Simmons because yeah. you got Ben running the point. Like he's he abuses people. I don't know why he can shoot on that game. Someone really needs to edit the stats. Now if you play it on Hall of Fame, Ben will not shoot anything outside of the paint. Okay. <laughs> like he, won't, he won't do anything outside of the paint at all. Still unstoppable. Yeah, I play it on I play it on Hall of Fame. Like we're talking about video games. I play it on Hall of Fame <laughs> because I'm good at the game, but I've lost like I'm like 5 and 3. Like I really started the season cuz I did it cuz I was bored and I was like, "Ah, I want to see what happens." And then I saw that somebody created an Aces team with they the recreated T-Mobile Arena. They got the logos and everything. I was like, "You know what? Fuck it, I'm going to play it." And now I'm hooked. Like, I'm like, yo, this is fun. Between that and I'm playing Last of Us 2, but you've got to be in a mood to play Last of Us 2, because that shit is depressing. That is an unbelievable <laughs> game. Dog, it's an amazing game. And I'm only like mm, five or six hours. No, nah, maybe a little bit more. Five, six, seven, eight hours into the game. But those first few hours are depressing. Oh my God. I don't think I've ever played a game this depressing. And the first Last of Us was depressing. This one is wild. <laughs>
2: I just love that you're an upstanding video gamer.
3: Yes, you man. hold
2: yourself accountable.
3: I like challenges. I'm
2: never getting pick thirty-four. Dude, I,
3: <laughs> I, couldn't, I, I couldn't swallow. I right? love challenges. I absolutely love challenges. I will be. play with the worst dude. Once upon a time, because I was like people don't. I was like really nice at video games. I'm not just saying that just because of saying it. I was really good. So I I made a team, and some people are gonna take offenses. I made a team in NBA Live, and because everybody else. I used to just drag everybody in the game. So I was like, look, to make it fair, I made a team of just white players. Just white players. Now, I couldn't have anybody with Mel in it. That's nobody. That's dope. No, but you still bust ass.
2: I can make one hell of a team right now of all white players. Well, I'm talking about this is uh, 2001? 2001 yeah. might be a little tougher. <laughs> but, Yo. Yo. no, because I got Steven Nash. I got Dirk. Right now there, it, off rip. I'm good. Steve Nash, Dirk. Um. Oh no, Peja. I would count as melanin. Yeah, I couldn't take Peja. Nah, yeah. And I and that this like might have been early. It's it's I, olive skinned.
3: I had I had <laughs> Dirk. I had Dirk before he blossomed into what Dirk became to be. So it might even been like the like two thousand. Yeah, yeah. Like like two thousand. And it Nash wasn't Nash yet. I think Brad Miller was my center and shit. That's a good center playing against Shaq at that time i bust ass with that 90's it would have been
2: easier cause you got Dan Marley you got Def Left Shrimp you got John Stockton You like there's yeah, there's there's a 90s? crop there that I'm busting ass
3: with bruh late 90's Def yeah. Left Shrimp with my dude yeah Def Left was nice late 90's though it was rough <laughs> I was like, yo! I had to pick a team, with, and like, it was
2: just it was just. Nash obvious. was ninety six. Yeah, you got to ride with Nash before he was Nash at that. Yeah, Damn, yeah, that's tough. It, it might hard. be harder today. Luca count? I'm, I'm taking Luca. Yeah, Luca counts. Right. Luca, yeah, counts. yeah. I just um, said,
3: no player. No, that, I mean, but you know,
2: Luca's like, yeah. Maybe it's not too hard in today's NBA because there's like fluid. My team would be all European
3: though. Exactly. And and Gordon Hayward, okay. <laughs> all European and Gordon Hayward. Like now, the league is gone Euro, so there's a lot of players outside of the U.S. that are nice. But back in the late '90s, before the Euro explosion really happened, mm. oh, I would what? I would have had Avita Sabonis.
2: Yo, I'm good. Sabonis was dumb, nice at center before his knees went out.
3: He was, but I think what? whatever version I had him, he was not good. <laughs> well that was that was <laughs> late. Late Blazers run Evita yeah. Sabotis. It was it was
2: rough. But was Ku Coach still in the league? Uh, yeah. Was, late nineties absolutely. Some, yeah, you got some you got some talent on that. But nah, yeah, that is one hell of a challenge. Now that we spent the whole opening talking about video games. I know, right? Um now nah, let's talk about what we were supposed to talk about to open the show. And uh drastic turn in conversation. This Nick Cannon shit. And we don't got to, like, one thing I didn't want to do is go super deep, breakdown, down super duper lyrical, like, no, I'm not going to break down it in detail. This, anything anti-Semitic is idiotic. I would personally say that this is why people can't have nice shit. <laughs> this, this, is, this is what I got out of this whole week my people black people we gotta do better this is why we can't have nice shit, because we had the narratives we had the spotlight on us people are listening to our voice young black brothers and sisters are inflicting change statues are coming down um institutions are being renamed buildings major college universities we're erasing systematic racism one block at a time by erasing what they hold on to most and that is their idiotic history we were dismantling that little tiny bits at a time and when we got this platform we got this voice we got all these people caring about us idiots not all of us some of us again which is why we can't have nice shit decided to come out and go way left with it Deshaun Jackson you're on my list Nick and you're on my list. What the fuck does that have to do with us fighting for what we have now? Oh, y'all yeah, wanted to go all the way left. You're like, oh, we got the mic? That's what it reminds me of. You ever been, like, at an assembly or you, you and your boys got to give a speech or something? I hated this in class, like group projects, because I would dominate group projects, because I'd be like, cool, I got all these facts. Boom, I'm killing a group project, but everyone had to speak, and you give that one kid the slide that's a layup? And he gets to that motherfucking PowerPoint slide and goes left. And you're like, fuck, there goes my A. And you just know you're getting a B. That's what these guys are. Like, yo, we got the platform. Everyone else is saying something. Like Terry Crews. Oh, I just can't shut the fuck up. Let me say something. Even though they're not educated on it, probably didn't read a book on it, saw this shit on Facebook or social media. I was like, oh, that sounds right. Let me throw that out there. And it's just fucking dumb, so... Nick Cannon's in that boat, too. Deshaun, Terry, Nick. And I'm tired of people defending them. That's another thing. I am not going to defend every idiot that's black. We're asking white people to not defend the white idiots. I will not defend black people when they say idiot stuff. I refuse. So Puff wants to give them a job, God bless. But sometimes, people have to understand the repercussions of their actions. So if Nick loses the bag, my man Nick, it was nice. It was nice while you were here. While and out was cool a decade ago. I go without that shit.
3: So that's my rant. Dre, how do you feel about it? <laughs> well, I got a rant. So let's do this. Because <laughs> you said you didn't want to get deep, Well, I'm gonna go ahead and get a little bit deeper. So I kind of missed. I kind of missed the initial uh, reaction. So I didn't talk about it on Twitter because I really didn't know what was going on. I was busy with working a bunch of other shit. It was. I think it was my off day so i want to start with this um you know who, who's thanking nick cannon right now chance the rapper because <laughs> chance was on the hot seat for saying a bunch of dumb shit about kanye running for president then nick cannon came along said what he had to say and everybody forgot about what chance said so chance you need to send nick some flowers because he saved you even though chance in uh reflection saw that terry cruz was agreeing with what he said and was like nope I got to turn this bus around. So, even still, chance to be happy. Now, before I get into the canon, I want to make this point. It was something I saw on Facebook, and this will all lead into what I'm about to say. I watched The Shy on Showtime. Now, if anybody's watching The Shy this season, I've seen a ton of people who hate this season, right? Not because Jason Mitchell's gone. Well, maybe a little bit. Even though a simple Google search will tell you why Jason Mitchell's no longer on the show. But people do not like the fact that there's a transsexual on the show that's in a, a relationship with Luke James, Luke James's character. And people on Facebook have said that Lena Waithe is pushing a gay agenda. And, I, and people said there's like a strap on scene in it. There's um, this. There's, I mean, there's gay marriage in the season. So real life things. People want to ignore real life things. Right. But this, this, this <laughs> is what the point I'm about to get to. is These things exist, right? But they're not represented on television. Kind of like how black people were maybe 20 years ago. And even even more recent. We didn't see the multi-dimensional black person on television. We only saw one. Just like with gay people, once upon a time, the only gay person that you saw was the ultra-feminine, like sissy type like there was no other construct of gay people in this world, but there was only that one that always got made fun of now right. that's evolving into something else. And now we're seeing today, like on the shy is that there's plenty of different gay people. They don't all act the same. They don't all do the same things and they're on the shy. So with this season, of the shy, I've seen people that are really upset about. It. It's not Christian. Like, um, this is disgusting. This is gross. And that offended me because I'm like, well, like, then you're offended by the real world. And if you're offended by the real world, you need to check yourself because if you're demanding people to respect us as a culture, you need to respect other cultures as well. And like I've always said, Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that black lives need to be treated uh, better than everybody else. We just want equality. And if that means giving us some special attention, then that's fair. But... When I, I don't demand anything else, and I don't demand us to be higher up the ladder and critical of other people. I don't, that's not what I want. So when I see people critical of Lena Waithe having a transsexual on the shy in the relationship, I question what black people really want. Why does this make you so mad? Which leads me to Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon goes out and says this, um, it's called the, the, the HOTEP theories, uh, Cress Weldon theories. Things that I've read when I was in college. Now, I want to be clear. When I was 19 in Morehouse, I got invited to an Israelite forum, right, about the black Israelites, which Mm -hmm. turned into this whole conspiracy theory thing. Me and my homeboy, Ramon, who's part of our our group chat, uh, was my college buddy, my high school buddy. We both went. And we sat down and we listened to this. And at first we were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And because that's how you are. Because you, you, you're you very prideful as a black person. And you kind of just take what these pe- older people are saying to you. Because you feel like because they're older they should know. But then I started reading more and more books. And these HOTEP theories were really ridiculous. They were just straight up conspiracy theories. And they would say things like, well, the truth is suppressed, my brother. No, it's not. It's not. The truth is not suppressed. These books aren't. Suppress. You can find information, especially now with a Google search. Mind you, I was 19. Nick Cannon is 39 fucking years old. <laughs> right? And it's okay to be influenced by these things. But if you invite Professor Griff to your goddamn show, you deserve all the bad shit that's going to come your way. Because Professor Griff got p- kicked out of public enemy for being anti Semite. Saying some really wayward conspiracy theory shit. Because as as much as Public Enemy was about black pride and black black power, they weren't with the bullshit either. They weren't just gonna start being just smashing other people with are the original people and their animals and do- like dude stop. Right? Like you gotta cut it out. So Nick Cannon does this show with Professor Griff, and I see people saying he's telling the truth, Annie. My question is, is he have you read any of this shit? Or are you just listening to Turban Cannon? And Professor Griff (laughs) give you this fucking diatribe of nonsense. You're being force-fed this nonsense that sounds good in theory, but you don't know if any of this shit is true. I've read this shit. And I can tell you by picking up those books when I was influenced as a 19-year-old and reading other books, because what I ended up doing, because I was born a Catholic, and I was raised kind of Christian with my friends, and then I broke free of that shit when I was like 16. I was like, I can't take this anymore. I got to read about other religions. I read Leviathan. My uncle was a five percenter. So I started reading all these books. And I was like, you know what? This is nuts. People force feeding this stuff is nuts. So by the time I got my hands on Cress Weldon's theory, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the way it should be. White people are animals. And I was like, wait a minute. This is stupid. Because I started reading more and I was like, this is dumb. So watching Nick Cannon and Professor Griff do this shit. On live television, and if anybody saw my tweet that said 2020 slogan needs to be read the room, there is no reason that Nick Cannon and Professor Griff should have had that conversation at this particular time. You want to have that shit behind closed doors? Go for it. You want to have that shit when this topic ain't that hot? Go for it. But you still probably get in trouble. And people are saying, yo, we got to stand behind Nick. No, you don't. Because nope. it, you need to have it both ways. People are saying, oh, Nick got fired because he said the truth. You know what people would say that were on Roseanne's side when her show got canceled? That Roseanne was saying the fucking truth. And she got canceled. So if Roseanne, who made a lot of money and had a number one show, can get her show taken off the air for for the shit that she did, Nick Cannon's ass can get in trouble too. And if the issue is is because he didn't apologize, come on, man. You need to apologize. Because you don't even know better. So I, I see all the people saying, oh, man, he's just spitting the truth. I hope you are well-read individuals when you say that. I you really know they're not. And you know they're not. I know they're not because nobody wants to, Like, And this is why I related to The shy, Because people were upset about The shy when Jason Mitchell was no longer on the show. And I was like, I can't believe they killed off his character. A simple Google search would tell you that Jason Mitchell was off the show for sexual harassment. That's a simple Google search. But then i saw people getting conspiracy theories that said the character who played reggie on the shy the reason he didn't come back because they they knocked him off as well what sorry spoiler but the reason why was because he didn't want to do a kissing scene with a transsexual that wasn't even true never even happened his character was supposed to be gone well before the transsexual was even introduced it had nothing to do with it but people can find that shit because that sounds good for their agenda but the truth It's something that people want to avoid. Now, the whole Nick Cannon thing is is a bunch of history stuff for history buffs to debunk. And as well-read as I am, I will say right now, I don't know anything that happened goddamn 2,000 years ago. I don't know everything. I know there's a lot of truth out there, and I know there's a lot of bullshit. So, if you're getting upset about this, and you're saying, well, Nick Cannon, you know, he he plotted this because he wanted out of Icon. No, he didn't. He fucked up. Stop thinking this man is smarter than what he is. He made Wild and Out, but do you know how many other shows he bricked out on? Nick Cannon, yes, he is successful. He yeah, he, he has. You know it. Yeah. Nick Cannon is a successful black man. But stop treating this man like he is the most intelligent person in the world because clearly the things that he just got a hold of, this knowledge this turban Nick is not all factual. So what he did is he ran out and spewed off at the the mouth and he needs to apologize because I'm not going to go into deep into what he said and I'm not going to go into this anti-Semite thing and people are like, well, that's not anti-Semitism. No, what he said was wrong and unnecessary, especially right now. When we're demanding equality, you're going to go out there and bash somebody else. That's not equality. At all. You can't make those kind of claims. So that that's my rant. And if you disagree with it, I challenge you to go pick up a bunch of books. Not just Chris Weldon's theory. Not just his HOTEP theories. I want you to get all the books and then challenge me. Because trust me, you don't want to do that.
2: No, I agree. Um, there's two dogs, like, fucking battle. It's like they're battling in the backyard you battle rapping in Puerto Rico? Yeah, I, I swear I was about to say that. Like, it's fucking nuts. Three years ago we recorded when I was in Puerto Rico. And uh, it was over the summer. And these same damn dogs were fighting over the microphone like you could hear them fighting three years later they're still fighting this is the longest beef i've ever seen this is peter griffin versus the chicken <laughs> this shit is never ending they are really bothering me i just th- throw me off i need a claw i don't even have claw in puerto rico i need to run to the store and buy like some corotas or something gosh damn dogs um no you were completely right though about nick cannon and the, the biggest thing, especially at the end that you said was people think they're so smart because they are successful. There's a lot of hard work, a lot of networking that goes in there. Yeah, you got to bust your ass, but these people aren't geniuses. They're not superhuman. Don't we always talk about this with Kanye? Yes. People are like, like Kanye is really good at making beats. Stop it at that. He makes good music. Dude. Okay, that does not mean he's fucking, you know,
3: Albert Einstein. Here's a better comparison, because yeah, Kanye is the most—he's the obvious comparison. But here's a better comparison: Ben fucking Carson. The man is a fucking acclaimed surgeon, gifted hands, has a book, but he's stupid <laughs> outside of that. You know, he's dumb in the political world, but you can't challenge him on surgery, like the man, open heart, like the what he's done for the medical field is unbelievable. But what he's done in the pro- political realm is stupid. You, you got to separate the two people. Well, you can be good at one thing and absolutely terrible at another. Like I may be really good at writing, but I'm terrible at like keeping up with paying bills, right? Like I'd leave that shit to my yeah. wife. Like finances, I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I put everything on auto pay. But I won't, yeah. And I won't get out here and have a seminar on physical responsibility. Physical responsibility. That ain't me. That's my wife. But if I were to go out and do that and somebody challenged me, I'd look stupid because somebody would like stocks and all that shit. I'd be like, oh, yeah, like playing the role. You can't do that. And that's what Nick Cannon did. He played the role. And now I got caught up with a bunch of people. Was like, nah, Nick. And especially because you're casting that kind of net on people, on a group of people. And a lot of these people support you. And you say this shit. What do you expect them to do? Like, imagine, like, because people say, well, the Trump is the president. Dude, that's not the fucking point. We all know Trump is wrong. Does, is that what you want? Is, is that how you want to play this? I, I think that's what a lot of people want. Like, listen, he's not the brightest
2: tool in the shed. And this motherfucker got to be president. Like, it makes them feel better,
3: right? I, it's weird. But they like that every man type of thing. But see, that's that. the problem with that is people, yes, Trump is to blame for the shit he said. But you don't blame Trump. Again, you blame the people that voted for Trump. That's how he became president. Not because he's just, he's Trump. Yes, he got the opportunity because he's Trump and his dad left him a fucking fortune and ended up suing him before he died. But, people voted for him. So yes, there is a part of this country that endorses Bigotry and racism, and like I've always said, Trump is now pandering to his base. It's do or die for him, so he's going to continue to pander hard to that base. But you can't, can't just look at Trump. You got to look at the people who do that shit. That's why oftentimes in music, the dumbest songs go number one, because dumb people rule the fucking world in terms of the masses and pushing the message. It's a bunch of idiots. It ain't the smartest people. It's not how this shit works. The best rapper's not always number one. Rarely. God damn, I'm so man, I'm so sick of like this shit got under my skin. Like I finally sat down and read it, and all these people praising Nick Cannon, I was like, Word? Come on, man, you can't you can't do this shit and then double back and be like, yo, you know, I want you to ride for our cause. Like, get the fuck out of here. You know how many Jews were in the civil rights movement? They had our back? And then you say what? this shit? What you expect to happen? Stupid. Where's the Deontay
2: Wilder get to this day? Nah. Do you know how many Jews to this day are riding with me? Now, listen, I will tell you this: I went out to those protests. I walked the streets. Me and my kids were there. We, you know, there were signs, all this stuff. There were plenty, plenty in the Jewish community riding with us. Like, are you fucking nuts? Like, let's not turn this into a game of who's more oppressed. That's like being in the hood and saying, "Well, who's more broke?" <laughs> And bragging about being more broke. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we both live in the projects, but you don't got roaches like me. Like, are you fucking kidding me?
3: My roaches are bigger than yours. Congratulations. Yeah,
2: like, like you're completely, you're both in the projects. We try to get out the projects. The hell you doing? it's, It's ridiculous. So, yeah, it's dumb that people cape for them. Again, we said this so many times the past couple of weeks, I swear. And uh, we put this in our group chat all the time. When someone says some dumb shit, we're like, this is the hill you're willing to die on? Yeah. Now The defense
3: of Nick Cannon? Duvall. This is the hill you're willing to die on. And yo, I never knew, dude, I never knew so many people loved Wildin' Out until now. They lying. They loved it 10 <laughs> years ago. No, come on. Like As soon as he started putting on the,
2: it was Vine, At first he had divine comedians and then YouTube comedians and now IG comedians. Let's let's call a spade a spade.
3: That shit is trash now. Yeah. I'm just saying. It, it's crazy to me because I see people do that stuff all the time. It's like when a show gets canceled on BET that nobody black watched, they get mad. You'd be like, why ain't <laughs> there no original program on BET? Because yo ass didn't watch it. Like me, I gave the Oval a chance. That shit is fucking horrible. And the fact that I'm able to say that means I gave it a chance. But if you never watched it, you can't be mad when it gets canceled. If you didn't watch Wild N' Out, some people did. And I'll give you credit. Like if you watched Wild N' Out weekly and you're like, yo... I'm upset it's gone Kudos to you But there's a vast majority of y'all out there That are caping for Nick Cannon And don't give a goddamn about no wilding out Nor did you care about Nick Cannon You probably called his ass cheesy When he was beefing with Eminem And was making songs like Gigolo So cut it the fuck out The Gigolo is low-key a bop
2: though (laughs) Not to get off subject But uh, uh, Fuck our Robert Kelly though (laughs) But it's I'm just letting you know Can't play it anymore It's low-key a bop Um Talking about that, you know often off of Nick Cannon, let's go into some music talk because Nick Cannon is just going to piss me off. You, and we'll get into the thick of this here in a second, but you have way too much time on your hands. And I know why. When you come into the group chat, you be like, you want to see Twitter get riled up? <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, Yo, look at this guy. And then you just go and do it. So, it started with you finding this tweet that says, Nas has four classic albums. That's false.
3: Yeah, it's absolutely false. I think
2: we, we could both agree on it. I gave him two. Fair. Illmatic, Stillmatic, and a possible it was written.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I don't consider it a classic. So, I give him two. Cool. Then you're like, I'm not stopping there. Because why just call this person out on their ludicrous hot tape? No, you decided to be like, but uh, how many classics does Jay Z have? <laughs> and I was like, oh, here we go. Yes, ate this up. I was like, you go rile me up in the group chat. We know we gotta wait for Twitter. Yes, and yes, yes. <laughs> I, I am sold on Jay Z having four classics, and then maybe we can add more. You give him two, in a strong, and, then, and a strong
3: possible, and a possible. And then your possible, you list the reasons, Volume 1. Oh, no, no, no. Volume 1 is, is not my strong possible. Oh, what was the possible? Black Album. Black Album? Yeah. Okay, that's fine. But you listed, like,
2: yo, if Volume 1 didn't have three tracks. Yes. And I'll let you explain. It could be a classic as well. It would absolutely be a classic. And someone jumped into your mentions and said the reason you don't, Classify as a classic, cause you hate women and female rappers, <laughs> and that shit had me in tears, <laughs> tears. Now, mind you, you wrote one of the best articles on Rhapsody I've ever read. <laughs> you pushed the agenda for not shaking your ass to have to sell records as a hip hop, a female hip hop artist. You've spoken out. You've written shit. Major publications. You've done all of this. To say, Ma, you don't got to talk about stripping. You don't got to be a hot girl this summer. We care about lyrics from you too. And this person said, you don't like female rappers. How dare you besmirch the name of Foxy Brown <laughs> and Lil' Kim. Sunshine is a classic song. Not even if they go that far, but yo, that shit had
3: me in tears. Dre, why isn't Volume 1 a classic? Volume 1 is not a classic because there's three songs that are not good. Now, look, one of them, clearly I found out that all of a sudden, not even all of a sudden, a certain demographic really likes City of Mine. When that song first came out, me and the homies and the industry hated that fucking song. I like that song. Not even hated it, because lyrically it was dope, but that fucking Blackstreet hook and the, the cheesy production, it just wasn't it. And it broke the vibe of the album, in my opinion. The other two songs are just a travesty. Sunshine, which was the lead single... Was it the latest <laughs> single? Or who you with? No, who you with was on the soundtrack. So, sunshine. Sunshine was the single. Yeah, sunshine was the single, and um, um, I know what girls like, which is absolutely one of the worst Jay Z songs ever. Dude. I think that is the worst Jay Z song ever, dude. There's a, there's a few songs that would have a word with you, like Beach Chair, Hollywood. There's a few tracks. King. I, Kingdom I absolutely with that. love Beach Chair. Okay, um, now like you get into
2: Hollywood, I do not Beach Chair. I I I will die on that hill. I listen to Beach Chair. Once every three months, maybe? That's my... Mo- I, I take motivation from that. What? There's also a dope Joe Budden line that completely crushes that song. Paves <laughs> me my heart, but it's so fucking dope. Like, isn't it's a random throw-in Joe Budden song? He's like, life is like a beach chair when you can't afford one. I'm like, fuck. Like, yo, that's so real. Like, people can't even afford a fucking beach chair. You're right about it. Like, yeah, so... But nonetheless, I really like that song. And that beat to me, it's something about those keys. It's just fucking melodic and chilling, like well it's zen yeah well i know a girls okay. likes travesty okay no yeah that's that's the worst whole song ever. it's a dumpster Such- fire sunshine is is bad but i get what he was going for what? i can justify sunshine
3: see so so here's the thing volume one is arguably one of the most divisive albums in the history of hip-hop because never has there been an album that has so many classic moments that is not considered a classic or a near classic, and at one time was considered the worst album in Jay Z's catalog. Volume yeah. one is it? Yeah. Volume one has, I mean, dude, if you look at Volume one, "Lucky Me," "Imaginary Players," "Um uh, Friend of," I think "Friend of," no, 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 not "Friend of." Foe. Um, not "Friend of." Foe I'm later, to, I'm trying um, to rack my brain now. Or
2: excuse me, that was reasonable doubt. No. A
3: million and one uh, questions. Uh, shit, now I got to think. Uh, because it opens with a million and one question. Because Volume 1, Volume 2 run together for me. They shouldn't, cause uh, Volume 2 is bad. Wait, it's bad? It's, uh, it didn't age well. I'll put it like that. Alright, so
2: Volume 1. Oh, and you get the oh, trash tra- stuff. Lucky Streets is watching. Friend
3: or Foe 98. Yeah, so Friend or Lucky Foe 98 is on there. Rap Game, Crack Game, Where I'm From, which is arguably one of the best Jay-Z songs ever. Come on, man.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, the two short track is dope.
3: Even Face Off, Who You With, which was a banger. Like, you take those three, like, and the problem is the sequencing. If you take City Is Mine, and I know what girls like, are the second and third tracks on the album. And it leads you to believe that the album's going to be completely different than what it was. And then it shifts into this super gutter, thorough-ass album that could be a continuation of Reasonable Doubt. When it goes to imaginary player, Streets is watching. Friend of foe, ninety eight, lucky me. Then it does sunshine. Then it's like who you with, face off, uh, rap real niggas, rap game, crack game. And I can't remember what's after that. Uh, where I'm from. And then you must love me. If you take those so- those couple songs off, or you put them at the end of the album, that's a classic album. But those three songs broke that album up, and it divided fans of Jay Z forever. Family volume two is better than volume one
2: you're nuts i no. maybe it's too it's too it has a lot of singles type uh, shit no, no maybe it's not better it's better than volume Kel, one because of those three songs Kel, the miss reservoir dogs
3: Kel, no, money
2: cash holds no, where it's though no, coming of age it didn't age well man hard not life i'm gonna go back and listen it did. It didn't age well because the one nigga who
3: was dope. It's it's a. It's a lot of radio shit, but it well, was dope. That, Reservoir Dogs is still much. That's fun. the thing about Volume Two. Volume Two was his breakthrough album. The Volume yep. Two was the album that put Jay Z into the upper echelon of not only MCs but the mainstream.
2: Sir, someone would say Kanye made him, and Jay Z didn't break through until two thousand one. Yeah,
3: well, I found out that was a troll, but whatever. That was a. <laughs> but like Volume Two, like Money Cash Hoes, like if those were those were big songs. But yep. lyrical density with the production, volume one, like, come on, man. There's not too many songs that are better than Where I'm From or Imaginary Players or yeah. A Million and One Questions. Like, again, you take those. If, if, if Jay-Z were to make volume one in this day and age where he didn't have to pander for a radio single, should would be a, by far a classic. It's the most divisive yeah. album ever. And Street was watching my shit too. It's cr- you might be right, dude. It's crazy because I went back and listened to the album, and I take those songs off that I don't. I just take them off and I just play that on through. And I'm like, oh my god, this album is a classic. Are you just
2: you rearrange his you whole know, album? I just
3: got. I had to get rid of him on my playlist. <laughs> I was like, because I, I tried, and as soon as sunshine comes on, because the way it, the way sunshine comes in is it just it just breaks the album up. And this is where sequencing is so important it just breaks the album completely completely breaks Volume three
2: was so good too
3: volume three is good but it's not a classic like volume one could have been a classic so my opinion getting back to the essence of all this my opinion (laughs) is jay-z has two bona fide classics reasonable doubt and blueprint black album justify my thug really hurts that album and the production of moment of clarity stinks the lyrically is dope but the like what ends up happening for the black album for me is that there's so many producers involved. It kind of breaks up the sound. But it's still an amazing album. And I'm a harsh grader. So that's like... Harsh a, critic. That, like <laughs> It's like a 4.75 for me. I think it's better than 444. And I like 444. But I think Black Album's better than that.
2: Yeah, see, I give them obvious two, reasonable doubt, blueprint. Then Black Album, to me, is a no-brainer. and But I, I respect... like. If you want to dig into it, yes, Eminem production probably is not oh, the best. Oh, that
3: production is <laughs> so, so bad.
2: But I, lo- I like the song. I like what Jay did with the song. I mean, li- and getting introspective and talking about his life. Like, I, I like that side of Jay.
3: I don't think Jay Z ever but, comes
2: up short lyrically. No. You know what I'm saying? No, but it sounded like every other Eminem song right. during that. It sounded like Lose Yourself. <laughs> like it was Lose Yourself with Jay Z on. So I, I, I understand that. Like if you did if you, that where we're going cool so 4.75 i can't knock that and then my other one is american gangster which i don't think a lot of people put in the conversation of classics but to me that is a jay-z classic
3: and it's a weird
2: that that might have one skip
3: it's a weird album because american gangster it was devoid of like a big single even though uh Boy is is great but it's devoid of a big single and it was tied to a, a movie But it was a great album that was thorough through and through. But this is my my problem with American Gangster, where it doesn't have become a classic, is there isn't that one huge like song. Like Jay Z's best songs aren't on that album in terms of like his top five aren't on that album.
2: No, maybe even top ten. Maybe the highs weren't high, but it was a consistent album. It was, but it was good. Like my only skip on the album is Hello Brooklyn. Mm, Yeah. Um, and to know Jay-Z's fault, but I don't like Lil Wayne on it.
3: <laughs> well, yeah. And it, like, I, yeah, I, it made no sense to me. Yeah. So,
2: um, outside of that, but then he follows it up with No Hook, which I think is the best
3: song on that album. Yeah, but again, it's one of those albums that you, that you play it and you're like, man, this, like, it's an easy play. Like, you can play it and be like, cool. Easy. But if, yep. if I ask if I ask you like, well, is one of Jay-Z's 10 best songs on this album? And then you think about it, you're probably like, maybe not, but it's good. You, You know what I compare it to
2: and I will say this to the point of, I will admit it's wildly hypocritical and I'll say that off rip, but it's true. American Gangster to me is exactly what I make fun of you about with To Pimp a Butterfly. Really? Because you cannot listen to it in every situation. The replay value on American Gangster is not the replay value of every other Jay-Z album. It is a period album. Which to me, to pimp a butterfly, is very—it's sim- a period album for a mood for a movement. And when you are in that mood or movement, you can dive back into it. Or when you get in the mood to listen to it, it is classic. When you get in the mood to listen to American Gangster, it is classic. Hmm. That, but I still consider it a classic. And you consider to pimp a butterfly a classic. Yeah. One difference is Kendrick might have a top five song on that album. Yeah, and well, not only that, like... But I'm not sure. The, I think maybe I like other five Kendrick Al- songs better. But the the highs are still, like, Rock Boys and We Gonna Be Alright are two very, very good songs.
3: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, so I, they're very similar albums to me. I think the difference, though, with To Pimp a Butterfly, like, yeah, you can call them period albums, but, like, there's a social aspect to To Pimp a Butterfly that American Gangsta doesn't have.
2: No, it's a gangster aspect to American Gate. Like it, it's some real like you, you real get the reflective Jay Z gutter type shit. Like you get the I wanna hustle, I blow up, you get the full gangster story. That should
3: Yeah but it's kinda it's based off a
2: movie and it is a movie. Exact yeah, but this yeah. is this is it's, without the fluff. He took away all the fluff. Like you said, volume one without the fluff is a classic. It
3: would be this. Absolutely. <laughs> it would then be American Gangster because it has no fluff. And that's fair. That's fair. I think American Gangster is an amazing album. I I, I really do. Yeah. I, I think You said that's four point five, so, or something like yeah. you would... I, I would say four four and a half. I would say I definitely say a four and a half. Um, and again, I'm a harsh grader. I'd say four and a half. Yeah. But I I have Damn no that problem Lil saying two classics. Yeah, it hurts it. Oh, um, and Black <laughs> Album, like, I, maybe I'll revisit it and say, like, maybe it, it is a five, but I, I'm kind of, I'm stuck. When I hear Justify My Thug, I'm like, ah. In a moment of clarity, I'm like, what the fuck? Like, those two songs, to me, like, really broke up Damn it, Quick. Even though, yeah, oh, that, like, it was, I'm, like what's going on here? And it's like, you, you had DJ Quick, and that's the best you could get out of him? That's always going to bother me. That's always going to bother I like bother the sample. It just, it didn't, Black it didn't come through correctly. Somewhere it went left. Duh, it didn't. My thing about the Black Album is "Public Service Announcement" it might be my favorite Jay Z song. Might be damn very close. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I have I have I have a few top Jay Z songs. "Public Service Announcement," uh, "Politics," "The Usual" from "Reasonable Doubt." I love that song. Um, song. "Dead Presidents," uh, "Song Cry" is on my my top list. I love that song too. Um. But yeah, public sur- like, whenever public service announcement comes on, I just want to break shit. Because that shit yeah, is Yeah, what more and can it I say was be- so fucking dope? Yeah. That that so so there might favorites. be a day where I wake up and play Blackout Black Album again and be like, eh, it's a classic. It's like right on the cusp. But it's not bona fide. Like, Reasonable Doubt was like bona fide to I me. Mean, Blueprint, Bonafide. fide. Really changed how people looked at like soul samples and everything else. That production. Yeah, album, but there's
2: one bad. song on Blueprint that is just fucking horrible.
3: Oh, we all know that what song that is.
2: It's the Timbo song, right?
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know the name. You do. It's jigging my N-word. But yeah, no thank you. That song stinks. But everything else is so good. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that song. What song were you thinking about? Not Izzo. No, because that was Kanye. What song are you thinking about?
2: Hola, uh, Hmm. Hola, Like Again, Jay saves it with his verses. But I think the chorus is mad... Cheesy and the beat, like something is off. Yeah, I,
3: I think so. Because I, I, we we spend so much time talking about everything, but combat sports. But I, I do want to say this. That, like somebody asked, it was like, so can a, an album have a skip and still be a classic? And my answer was yes. Because if yes. The, if the highs outweigh, that skip and make you forget that song. Yes, yeah, classic. Or yeah. if that song is not as so egregiously bad that it breaks up the sound of the album, like what I feel like Sunshine does for Volume One, and I know what Girls like. Yeah. It's a class you can have a there can be a flaw on a classic album. Of course. But like listen, boxing's best
2: matches have had a bad round, good comparison. Or a rest round. Like like Dad, yeah, Like you could only expect so much, right? Like it those Ali fights are are
3: great. Sometimes rounds 5, 6 and 7 could get a little stagnant. It's it's okay. Like every song like just because I can play every song through doesn't make it a classic. That doesn't mean that like it has to have a, a moment in history where it really affects things it also has to have a big song that's undeniable and it has it needs to have like several of those the sequencing has to be on point there's a lot of things but like there can be a flaw like it's like seeing somebody that you think is gorgeous but they have a scar it's a scar get over it
2: yeah no exactly um we're about to hit the break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of boxing and recap the UFC. So we're going to hit the break now. But before we go, Dre, I'm going to tell you this, but we still got to hit the break. No rebuttal. Ray Shremner has a classic. All right, people, we'll be back. Don't worry about this. Oh no rebuttal God. from Dre. Getting, no. Wait till- <laughs> like, I can't believe you said that. No. You- Shrem life is stop, a classic. Stop it. No skips, baby. Stop it. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm going to fight that to the death You guys stay tuned We're going to hit this break We'll come right back Alright everybody, we'll get back to the show in one second, but first, sports are coming back and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight, or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula
3: 1, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? BetOnline has future odds including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Or check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Just that
2: quick, we are back, people. And we, we couldn't get off the subject. We, we couldn't do it. We we're going to try. I promise you, we're talking combat sports right here. But I, I expanded on my hot take and said if Ray Shremmer dropped Shrem Life, same exact album today, it would be album of the year so far in 2020. And I pointed to Drain saying people consider the 36 track Lil Uzi Vert album to be album of the year so far. You can't, Pop Smoke is almost considered top five so far by many outlets. Shrem Life is better than a Pop Smoke album, rest in peace, but I can be objective. Alfredo
3: is probably my number one album so far. So, yes, and we're gonna move on after this. So I have this huge problem with these lists, right? Because I've been in music journalism for as long as I have, and now I've kind of backed off so I can pick my spots in music. Because I can't imagine being a music journalist in 2020 because it's just way too much shit. So my problem with these top 50 lists is the following: There's 50 albums that you put on this list. There's 50 albums that Complex put on a list in June. Top 50 in June. Yes. 50 albums. Now, if there's 50 albums, it means there's probably, what, 150 that were released? Maybe. Like, you're flooded with music every Friday. Every single Friday. Once upon a time, when I was a music journalist, when I first started, I would review maybe two albums a week. And that was hard working. But it was like, oh, there's these two releases. You want to review them? Oh, man, that's a lot. But I'm going to I'm gonna listen to this one for like three or four days straight, and I used to have advances, and I'll revisit it right before I write my review, and then I'll do the other one. Now, you, there's no such thing as an advance. The, the album drops, and that's it. It's there for the world to hear. And then it comes along with like seven other albums. And then some of these albums aren't even albums. They're like 30-song playlists. When I see these damn 50, top 50 albums, there's no way humanly possible that Because I asked this question on Twitter, like how many, what was the last album that you listened to front to back without skipping a week after it released? Not that week, the week after it released. When another flood of releases come in, are you still listening to the album front to back? The few albums that came up were Alfredo, Run the Jewels, and then after that, it was music from last year. Nothing from this year. Those are the two albums that were, like, on the list. I think Boldy James ended up on the list. uh, Boldy James Alchemist album, which is excellent. But there's no way humanly possible that Complex can make this list and listen to these albums, 50 of them more than once. There's no way. So when they make these lists, I'm like, "Yo, how do like you really like this album?" And you're just arbitrarily throwing another album on the list because there's no way, like we talked about it before, like Royce is ranked that low. Did you really listen to that album as much as you listen to the Tame Impala album, or did you give it one listen? And was like, well, this is where it should land." It's bullshit ain't nobody spending time with these albums like that because as a fan i can't even listen to everything like the price of tea in china which is the boldy james alchemist album i finally listened to it three times this week i only listened to it once when it first dropped the deluxe edition drop i listened to it three times like yesterday playing nba 2k and i was like yo this is a really good album i'm glad i finally revisited it but because there's so much music and this is me doing this for fun if this is your job There's no way you're listening to every release more than once. How do you make these lists? So when Little Uzi Vert lands on the top of the list, I can't buy that shit. Because are are y'all really listening to all these albums on the list? I guarantee you that the staff that put together this list, there was at least 20 albums on that list that they did not listen to. That's crazy. Exactly. At
2: some point, there's someone who, there's no way, and you put these lists together, if you do it with just one person, it's flawed in the terms of journalism, right? Right. Like, it, it's just completely biased. So now you're telling me that maybe you have a panel of six people. And you tell these six people to give you their top 50 albums. No way those people have listened to 50 albums each. In six months. It's In June. Six, n- it was no June they dropped that list.
3: Oh, my God.
2: No way they listened to these albums more than once. There's still shit on Royce's album that I'm catching today. And I listen all the time. No way you can tell me they listen to these albums more than
3: once. It's it's really troubling, man. So, like, that's like all the genesis of all of this is when I saw, when I thought about that. Because when I was listening to Boldy James, I was just like, man, this is really good. Why well, haven't I listened to this album yet? And I realized, oh, yeah, it's because like 10 million albums dropped the same week. It's like, so, but if I'm, if I'm making these lists and I'm the tastemaker and the gatekeepers of journalism and hip hop and, you know, Mostly non-black people in all these publications. But that's a whole other conversation that we'll save for a panel or something else. Because I've been doing this a long time. (laughs) And you will be surprised the lack of melanin when it comes to hip-hop writing and editing. I couldn't believe I'm one of the few. But nevertheless, these are the people that are making these lists and telling you what to listen to. And it's very problematic because when Little Uzi Vert is your number one album of the year and Alfredo came out... And Run the Jewels four came out. Now, yes, I get it. I'm a boom bap guy. I love hip hop being hip hop, but I can appreciate, and you know, I can appreciate other albums. Not to mention, Complex's list was not just rap albums. They had R and B. They had Tame Impala. They had Fiona Apple's album, which is really good. But it's like y'all listened to all this shit and made this list. Get the fuck out! he yeah, Uzi this thirty six songs. Yeah, it's like, come on, man, and that's number one. That, Don't tell me you listen to all 36 songs. I mean, they probably did, but that's. But what I'm saying is, like, if you listen to all 36 songs of Lil Uzi Vert and you did it more than once, you did, like, three or four times, I guarantee you didn't listen to them other song, albums as much. Because Lil Uzi no. Vert just took all your goddamn time. And you can't tell me you made it to song 27 and remembered what the hell song 7 sounded like. That's, dog, it's ridiculous. Like, Rock Marciano had dropped an album, and it's great, but I with us, is Steve Cooks, and I'm like, yo, did they listen to that? It's on the list, but it should be ranked higher, but I guarantee they didn't listen that album as much as Louis Vuitton's 36th song, Marathon. Cut it out, man. <laughs> I hate, I hate uh, music journalism these days, because it ain't even journalism, it's groupyism I love that you had to
2: uh, get that rant off after the break after we had come yes. back. Um, let's dive into combat sports, though. And on a more sour note, um, unfortunately, there was a death in the boxing world. Um, Travel Mazion <clears throat> dies in a Texas car crash. It sucks because we just had um, the incident with Errol Spence Jr. We got that footage. And, and it's scary, you know, how fast life can go. Another promising young boxer signed a golden boy is gone way too soon. And, you know, as this kind of hits and boxing's trying to come back and the boxing world is still on pause, you you see just how needed and respected boxing is as a whole. Because many people didn't know Travell Maison, but it's still, when it hit, you're like, wow. The boxing community stands still for a second. Uh, every platform today sent their best wishes to his family And, you know, honored him as a boxer and as a person. You get these stories that come out. You did an article today that really touched on it. Um, And it's just, man, it's sad to see these young athletes. It's sad to see anyone die young, but especially these young athletes where there's so much more to give in the sport of boxing. You know, and their life is gone in a blink.
3: Yeah, um, Treville Mazian, obviously, a Golden Boy fighter, which Golden Boy is part of the zone. So I've had the opportunity to watch him fight on the Virgil Ortiz's undercards. And my piece today, for those of you who have got a chance to read it, um, Virgil's dedicating his next fight next weekend when match when Golden Boy comes back on the zone against Samuel Vargas, he's dedicating it to Treville Mazion. And he kind of talked about how when they met and, when you know, being good friends, um, you know, being able to click like none other immediately, and Maze Young was a really good fighter. Like, this, the, if anybody has seen any of his fights, he had a lot of promise. So the fact that he, he passed away in this multi-car accident, it sucks, man. Like he was nine days shy of his 25th birthday, and I don't know what it is about people dying so close before or after their birthday it is the most bizarre thing in the world to me. It happens far too often. So he had just won a world title in January. Um, with a sick body punch, too, if anybody watches that fight, which is f- making us rounds. But it's, it stinks, man. Like, his passing really sucks. Um, you know, I'm sure Virgil and Golden Boy will do something nice for him next Friday, but gone too soon. Not even 25. So getting ready to turn 25 and, and a ton of promise ahead of him.
2: Yeah, man. It, it's, it's always horrible to see. So, I'm, like you said, I'm sure they'll do something next week when they have a fight, and we just want our pay rest. Pay our respects to a young fighter gone way, way too soon. In um, the other news in the world of boxing, there's not much other news. Uh, top rank still running fights, even though Jamel Herring tested positive tw- for a second time uh, this past week for the COVID, had to be removed again. He might not fight until August now. And we see that at this point, top rank is probably losing a fight a week.
3: It's crazy.
2: Due to COVID. And then they lost a fight um, on the upcoming or on the on the now Verdejo card. They lost the main event because a fighter couldn't make weight, came in nine pounds overweight, which is also probably a product of COVID. Yeah. You're asking people to not have gyms open, facilities open for them to train properly, not to be able to have sparring partners, not to do any of this for months and then to show up in the middle of July and be able to fight.
3: That's tough. It's, you know, we're going to get into this whole conversation of why UFC is working and boxing is not. But I'll say this, like, it's been, it's a lot for Top Rank to handle because obviously UFC has all the fighters and they can put on all the shows with all of their fighters. Top Rank only has a segment of fighters. And yep. for whatever reason, i talked about this before, like, the ratings haven't been very good, the fights haven't been very good. Uh, and it's just wild because you're right, every single week, it's like the main event drops off every week. At least one. At least one. And it's crazy. Like, McKellen Mayer got a chance to make an event, which is great. Uh, real quick, women, like, the boxing world needs to fucking make a change because there's no reason for women to be boxing too many rounds. It's fucking stupid. At all. And, and while we're at it, title fights, 12 rounds, please. Yeah, it's like, cut it out. These women can fight. Come on. Yeah, it makes UFC me- has proved that. Yo,
2: box- Boxing commissions can't say that. You can't do it because they allow female UFC fighters to do the exact same rules as the men. Those exact same commissions. So
3: it's time to change. And this is why boxing is treated like an antique. (laughs) Because, like, it still has an antique mindset, which is ridiculous. But these top-ranked shows is just, they're, they're snake-bitten. Every goddamn week. And then, yes, people are coming in overweight. I can't figure this out. Like, every week a fight drops off. And then when you have the fights, they're okay. Like, we haven't had, like, yes. great... Matchups. people are like, hey, we haven't had great knockouts. Yeah, maybe because these guys haven't trained. <laughs> I mean, which is positive. Like, it's just, there's so much going on with boxing. And now we're entering uh, August coming up. And, like, The Zone coming back. Golden Boy and Matchroom putting on shows. Matchroom just announced really quick that in they're doing a show in Tulsa where the main event is Julio Cesar Martinez versus McWilliams Arroyo. And it's going to happen... On the intersection, they're putting a ring in the middle of the street in downtown Tulsa, which is like redefining street fighting. No fans, just a ring in the middle of the street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay, (laughs) whatever, if that's what you want to do. But boxing is going to come back, and it seems like there's going to be a lot of shows. I spoke with somebody at PBC the other day. They're getting ready to get back in the mix. So it seems like there's going to be a lot of boxing. But the problem continues to be the big names aren't fighting. None of them. Shakur Stevenson is the biggest name that's fought. And I can't imagine that, you know, I, I know Canelo, they, they've they talked about him taking a pay cut to fight in September, but they need to find an opponent that's also willing to take a pay cut. It is really difficult to get top stars in the ring in boxing. And I think it's, and I know they're all like, they're all saying the same thing. I want to get paid, right? But there's nothing worse than not getting paid at all and just getting just sit older. sit at home. And getting older. Yeah. That's all you're doing. sitting there. like, Terence Crawford stood by that he will not Take a pay cut because it's in his contract. Cool. So let's just say this pandemic lasts another year. You're going to sit on your ass for another year and a half? That's crazy to me. So take the pay cut. Be active. You need visibility. It's not like they're going to put you in there tough. You might. Terrence Crawford can fight somebody like Ray Robinson. And he should beat Ray Robinson. And get paid for yeah. it. Like, cut it out, man. It's crazy. These guys just need to fight. Yeah.
2: I mean, we've seen a lot of upsets. I mean, there's the UFC kid. I don't excuse me that his name escapes me. I just get a Collin. ton of Clay Collard. I always forget his name, uh, Clay Collard, who's come over, won three fights, been burying prospects that I'm sure these companies have invested a lot in, and is probably the boxer of the year right now. He is. He's, if he fights one more time, he's ahead of Tyson Fury as the boxer. Of the man's four zero oh in a pandemic. <laughs> he's fighting every other week. They finally matched him soft. Yeah. And he delivered with a l- nice knockout. But he was dropping top
3: prospects. But see, that's what the secret to boxing success that nobody's figured out. You know why the clay collar thing works? It's the M- it's the MMA thing. You match him up with a prospect. He knocks off the prospect. You're like, well, shit, put him in there with another prospect. And he knocks him off. Fuck his record. You look at his record because collard collar has been matched up tough since he started. Always, yeah. But now, he's winning fights. You know what people are not looking at anymore? His record. They're just looking at him just beating up people. And people are excited to watch Clay Collar fight. Boxing needs to do that a lot more. Stop protecting these fighters. They don't need protection. If they're going to lose, let them fucking lose. I get it. Some fighters need rounds in, blah, blah. And this, I talked to Virgil about this today. Virgil Ortiz is 15 and over 15 knockouts. And somebody's like, he needs more rounds. And Virgil's like, why? So I can get cut? You know, like, why? So I can get an injury? And I was like, no, why? So the judges can steal a fight from you? Why would you want to do that? Fuck all that. If you're good enough now, fight the best now, if you think you are. Canelo did it. He fought Floyd. He lost. Guess what? Early. Guess what? Richest man in boxing. You can get past Granted, he fought an old Mosley, but he fought Mosley. I mean, he still Even earlier than Floyd. You know, and it's... (laughs) Sidebar. When people always say this shit about like old Mosley, nobody ever says old Floyd. Floyd just keeps winning. Nobody ever said, "Oh, he's fighting an old Floyd." No, they just go, "Oh, Floyd's fighting. He's too experienced for Canelo." And then he fought a Mosley that was over the hill, but when then Floyd reaches that age, nobody says anything. It's the weirdest thing about no, Floyd Mayweather. No but one I, wants I, I to fight watch. old Manny. Box? Old Manny just knocked out knocked no. down Keith Thurman. Like, hey, he was yes, older but, than Mosley was against Canelo. So, I think in order for boxing to work for the second half of 2020, all of these fighters need to check themselves. I know you want to get your money, but, you, but in the grand scheme of things, some of y'all getting overpaid for these fluff-ass fights anyway. So, take a little <laughs> bit of a pay cut. You don't have to be matched up extremely tough. But, like, for instance, like Canelo, fight David Lemieux or John Ryder or even Callum Smith. That's fine. You don't need a big gate for that. Give us something to watch. Put it, I mean, it, that even though the zone doesn't do pay-per-view, it could be a pay-per-view. People will pay for it. If you're Terrence Crawford, fight a Ray Robinson. Fight, fight somebody. If you're Keith Thurman, if you're Errol Spence, fight somebody. Do something. We don't have time to waste, man. All y'all are just getting older. The pandemic doesn't seem like it's going anywhere anytime soon. So you guys got to stay busy. Because if you're not busy and you're not visible, we will stop caring. And I'm talking about That's we as in fans. They'll just stop caring. Yep. Meanwhile, UFC like the biggest fight in August, in boxing, in my opinion, there's Osk- Oscar Valdez is in August, right, or is that next week? Oscar Valdez is next Friday. Okay, so Oscar Valdez and, and Jason Valdez, and but the big, I think the biggest fight in August is Dillian or is White. That and Tuesday Alex- it might be Tuesday. No, that's
2: next Tuesday. Next. Okay, Tuesday, so sorry.
3: so it's still in July. So the biggest yep. fight in August is Alexander Povetkin versus Dillian White. It's a WBC interim title fight, right? That's probably the biggest fight in August in terms of title fight, matched up well, whatever. Yeah. And and people go, oh, yeah, it's a really good fight. You know what the biggest fight in the UFC next month is? Steve Amios versus Daniel Cormier three, which blows that (laughs) fight out the water. If they can do this shit during a pandemic, and that's like a huge fight, boxing, you can do the same shit. Like, Errol could fight Danny Garcia in this. Both of them, take a, take a pay cut. Y'all ain't got time to waste. Because the longer you wait, one of y'all, y'all ain't going to fight each other anyway at some point. Look at somebody that you probably wouldn't fight right now. Take a chance. Roll the dice. Like, if Danny Garcia were to beat Errol Spence, then maybe Danny Garcia gets the Manny Pacquiao fight. If Errol Spence wins, okay, fine. Sean Porter, maybe you fight Manny Pacquiao. Yep. Find a way. Like, take a pay cut. I know. Like, y'all are not poor. Cut it out. None of y'all are poor. Take a little bit less. If it's offered to you, the opponent, too, because you're looking at a shot of glory. If you can knock off a Sean Porter or an Errol Spence or a Terrence Crawford or or whoever, take a chance. Bet on yourself. If you win, you make more money in your next fight. But if you don't fight, guess what? You're making zero dollars. And you know how many people care about you? None. No, I completely agree.
2: And then you look at the guys who aren't fighting. You know, the big name guys who, okay, they don't want to get knocked off or on. Cool, I understand all that. But if they don't match your price, you could have fought twice by now. At a cheaper price, and you would have made what you thought you were going to make anyway. Exactly. You just fight two cans. Because guess what? If they don't pay you, you know, 100%, they want to pay you 50%, cool, I'm going to fight two cans for 50% each two months apart and make my money anyway. Because guess what? They're hurting for fights. They're hurting for stars.
3: Dude, you gotta find a way. Like Clay Collard's becoming a star right before our eyes because he's just Clay Collard. More people hit us up. And honest to God, I'll say
2: this honestly: on our social media account, more people were asking us what time does Clay Collard fight? What time is the fight? When is Clay Collard going? More people are doing that than they ask
3: about a Terence Crawford fight. Clay Collard. It's like, come on, man. It's really, it's not that hard. Like, I know training camp sucks. I get it. Training camp is horrible. But if you're fighting a guy that you probably beat up in sparring anyway, because ultimately what fans want to see are knockouts, and they want to see the names. So, yeah, Lomachenko versus Tiafimo is a big fight, right? Well, it's a big fight to hardcores. But if Tiafimo Lopez was to go out there right now, let's just say, and beat the shit out of some can, like obliterated him in a round, People will go, oh, man, he's going to kick Loma's ass. Because they see him. But if you don't see anybody fighting, there's no reason for me to care. Somebody's got to fight. You guys got to fight. Like, top rank, I'm sorry. These cards stink, but it's not top rank's fault. It's because the guys, the the top fighters, aren't fighting. And the same thing's going to happen with Golden Boy, Matchroom, PBC. You go down the list. If your top fighters are not fighting, these ratings are going to be in the dumps. And what's going to happen is... Fans won't care by the time the big fights happen. They've moved on to UFC. UFC's continues to put on good shows. I don't think they put on a bum-ass card yet. Even a, a bum card on paper, which was like the Jessica I card, ended up being exciting. Boxing needs to do the same shit. They need to fix that shit now.
2: No, I completely agree. But you hit on UFC has done it right. Absolutely. And UFC... 251 is just the latest example. You pointed out the Cormier fight that's on the horizon. We just had a fight last weekend during a pandemic where people are supposed to be struggling and don't have the money and blah, blah, blah. They lost this main event six days before and Gilbert Burns. Got bigger by adding Jorge Masvidal and going through the pandemic and we say whatever we want, but his Trump 2020 gimmick and the robes and all this stuff... He made the fight huge and reported numbers. I haven't gotten any internal numbers. I wouldn't tell you guys if I did. (laughs) But the online reported numbers by, I think, Coppinger was 1.3 mil. Coppinger reported his numbers, and I'll just go by his for comparison, to say that Wilder Fury 2 did 750, 800. This almost doubled that on six days' notice. Wilder Fury 2 was during the Super Bowl. They promote the two guys on the Super Bowl.
3: Yeah,
2: And Masvidal stops, steps in his six. They notice and does 1.3. We, myself included, give Dana White a lot of shit.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He's done these fights in very questionable conditions. He, with the weapons at his disposal, which for a long time was half his roster until Fight Island just opened up and can get international people. But even then, he didn't fall off with just half his roster in the U.S., He's been able to do it right. The matchmaking hasn't taken a hit. That small cage was money. Because even then, UFC 251, which we'll dive into more here in a second, wasn't a bunch of finishes. It wasn't action-packed, I believe, because it went back to the normal octagon. If this was in Vegas, I think we would see a lot more action.
3: Yeah, very possible.
2: They might, they might just have to go to the smaller octagon. I mean, man. Hockey went to the smaller or to the wider nets for goalies, right? Yeah. To increase scoring. Hockey's done shit to get exciting. Baseball has done stuff, allegedly, to juice the <laughs> balls and shit. Like, let's be real. Like, people dig the long ball. Baseball knows it. Football, you can't touch the quarterback anymore because they want to score 80 points. UFC might have to go to the small cage.
3: Yeah, but even still, like, that 1.3 million number, if it's true, it's huge. And it tells you that like, there's two things that it tells you. One, is that nobody really considers buying a fight until the day of? Like we always listen to people like promoters and was like, oh, this fight is tracking to be huge and people would buy it now. No, nobody buys a pay per view till the day of. I've never, when I used to buy pay per views, I didn't buy pay per views six days out. I was like, oh shit, this fight's gonna happen. on am buy. No, you buy like the day of. That's just what you do. You sign on, click the button, you buy a fight. But. All that promotional money that went to Wilder Fury didn't really matter. Now, granted, I will, there is a caveat. It's because everybody was at home to watch Masvidal versus uh, Usman. Whereas with Wilder Fury, people were still out wilding down the streets. So that there's one thing that could have helped boost the numbers. Yet and still, the fact remains is that Fury Wilder, for being supposedly the biggest heavyweight title fight in 20 years and everything else, and yes, it. I was completely hyped for it. It couldn't match up to Masvidal versus Usman. But that's because, and I mean, granted, UFC, again, three title fights on the card. But it was Masvidal. You want to know why Masvidal is big? Because he fights. And, you know, that's it. He, Like he fought three times last year. And he obliterated Ben Askren in, in five seconds. He knocked out Darren Till and he beat Nate Diaz for a fictional-ass title that The Rock presented him. <laughs> and the motherfucker became a star. Has been a, for better or worse, like a journeyman for the early portion of his career. But he stayed busy, kept fighting, didn't take a break. And even though he had a dispute with the UFC about money, which I think all fighters need to do, when they backed up against the wall, the UFC paid him because Burns was out because Burns was going to fight for a lot cheaper. And they realized, like, well, shit, if we pay all They probably boost pay-per-view sales. I don't even think Dana White expected the numbers that they got out of that fight.
2: I don't... No, he had to be presently surprised because another report that came out said that Masvidal said, you know what, I want this, and I'll make up the rest
3: in pay-per-view points. And gambled on himself. (laughs) Got to. He might have hit the jackpot. I mean, dog, you got to. And and we're going to get ready to talk about 251, but obviously everybody knows Masvidal lost basically... Uh, what pe- people consider the snoozer to Usman, but y- you know what happened? <laughs> Hugging and footstops. Hugging and. Foot but you st- know what happens because boxing is so reliant on like undefeated records, and UFC is not. Masvidal is just going to be fine. Masvidal lose this fight because he's lost plenty of others, and people have built in excuses because they just love Masvidal. They'll say, "Oh, he took about six days' notice," and they'll say, "Oh, Usman was scared." And he fought a boring fight, and all these things, and all, and everything. And Masvidal lost, but he really won, because if the UFC decides to book Masvidal versus Diaz two, because the one that it was ended on cuts the first time, or if they decide to book Masvidal versus Kobe Covington, or if they decide to book Masvidal versus Conor McGregor, huge. And nobody will give a shit how many fights Masvidal and his opponent lost, because it's not going to be two undefeated fighters fighting. It's crazy. What a novel no, I, concept! Let the fighters fight. There's, there's more
2: money in being an entertaining, just crazy, scrappy, balls for the wall fighter than there is to being undefeated. Yeah, well, which well, is I why Conor thing,
3: will always be a draw. I think the thing about it is, if I, like the one thing I love about Keith Thurman is he says I have an O and I'm not afraid to let it go. Which means, except for how he played the whole Errol Spence thing, which I thought was really ridiculous. Oh, we'll be ready in 2022. Shut up. Fight. But <laughs> now all he's fighters should for live by fight. that mantra. Yeah. But all fighters should live by that mantra. It's like, you, like when I asked Virgil Ortiz today, I was like, well, if they offered you the Errol Spence fight, would you take it? He was like, absolutely. Not because of the money. It's because I think I could beat him. And I think all fighters, should they believe that she, they can beat another fighter. And if you don't, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, why do you need soft touches? In the UFC, I'll give Dana all the credit in the world. These guys don't really get soft touches. We'll get weird fights, like Jose Aldo in a damn title fight, which means the rankings don't make sense. But for the most part, nobody gets like, like Conor McGregor's not going to lose a fight. Well, I guess you could do that with Donald Saron. You could call that a soft touch. But guys lose fights, and they just matched up tough again. They're not fighting guys outside of the top 15. That never happens in the UFC. In boxing a guy usually loses and they go fight a guy that you've never heard of. Like I remember Oscar De La Hoya lost to Bernard Hopkins. And then what's it Bernard? And then end up yeah, and then he end up fighting Steve Forbes next. You're like, what the fuck is that? UFC that shit just doesn't happen. Doesn't. Cormier lost, you know what Cormier doing? Fight Miotis again. Yep. And Ganu lost, they put him in there with Derek Lewis. Like you got you fight the top guys until you can't fight him anymore. Until it's time to go. The shelf life might be shorter, but shit, man. It's entertaining. I don't know what the fuck boxing's doing.
2: Still trying to give too many people soft touches. And in the meantime, they ran out of... The top guys need soft touches at this point. And that's the problem. Because the soft touches, the warm-up fights, will not be able to draw enough to justify paying the bigger-name guys.
1: No, not at all.
2: So you got to beat Teofimo versus Lopez. You damn near got to come back with a pay-per-view quality match. Yes, you have to. To justify getting paid. It's just if not, you sit people on the shelf. Crawford, um Canelo so far. You you look at these guys, Spence. Spence ain't talking about coming back yet either. We know Danny Garcia's on the table. They ain't trying to run that with no fans either. Cuz who's buying that pay-per-view? I don't
3: know, but see there I I think you should run it run it anyway. I, run it as a pay-per-view anyway cuz you need the revenue. I think like with perfect respect to Loma and Tia Fimo is if both of them make take a pay cut, then do a pay-per-view. But if they're asking for the normal asking price miss these conditions, can't do it. You just it's, you just can't justify it. Like, I know fighters want to get paid, but you don't want to put the sport out of fucking business in the process. So then now you don't have a fight ever again. Take a little bit yeah. less. And if that's the case, if, if Tio and Loma are two guys that want to fight and they were like, no, we want in front of a live audience, that's okay. You know what? I that can be is. That's fair. But you know, you you got to fight somebody. Somebody worth it. Yeah, It doesn't need to Stay be the warm. number one guy. Yeah, fight somebody. Just, like, not a bum, but somebody. Because if you're that good, you should fucking win anyway. Just go fight.
2: My thing is, even if you put it on pay-per-view, and it does 80,000 pay-per-views, give the person the pay cut. Like, say, Terrence Crawford right give him Ugas which is no layup at all but you know it's not going to sell let's just be real so you put that on pay-per-view anyway you pay him what you would pay him the little bit of a pay cut that he would have to take to fight on lineal ESPN but you say I give you a higher than normal pay-per-view cut So if you only sell 80,000, that's on you. But if you shock us half to death and sell 400, you're also being rewarded that amount more than you would have gotten selling on ESPN. And you let the people decide to pay for it or not. If no one pays for it, then it's just like running it on ESPN. Somebody gonna pay for it. It's tough, man. Put it on ESPN. If you have a pay-per-view fighter at any point in their career, you put it on pay-per-view now. Gervonta, you put him on pay-per-view now.
3: It's just they got... And give him points. They, yeah, they got to take less. Uh, the only other challenge with doing pay-per-view fights, it's it's a tough one to do because what you don't want to do is have them fight and nobody's watching. That's the bigger issue, right? Like, if you have a guy... If you, if you have a... T-
2: Social media will be talking about it. People will be buzzing. Yeah. People will still bootleg it. People will watch it. Now... People may not be paying to watch it, but there's enough avenues for people to watch it. Your hardcore fans will still find
3: a way to watch it, whether they pay, whether they do not pay. Well, I think what you what you still want, which is boxing's problem, is boxing still needs to hit the mainstream. Like the guys, like Terence Crawford. As much as we love Terence Crawford, and I think he's one of the best fighters in the world, he's arguably number one, number two pound for pound to a lot of people. But if people don't see him fight, like if he does a pay per view. And he does 100,000 buys. It's not really good for the Terrence Crawford brand. So there's got to be something down the middle where you can expose. Because if you do it on ESPN proper on a Saturday night, because NBA is getting ready to start at night. Everything's getting. Now you have competition. But if you didn't have competition, you put Terrence Crawford on a Saturday night and you spent a week building this fight. He does the, the press gamut, like the virtual press thing. And he goes out there and obliterates somebody, and it becomes like a sports center highlight, and, and he he becomes a social media highlight. That helps him, whether he wants to admit it or not. He's not a star, he's not, he's not a mainstream star. He's a boxing star. He's not a mainstream star. You need those. You need visibility, and boxing has yeah. always struggled with that idea. Because the UFC, the good thing that they've done is some of these guys that you're watching, like all before. These guys fought on non-pay-per-view cards. They fought on free-ass cards. And that's how you got to know them. Like Conor McGregor didn't start off as a pay-per-view guy. No fighter really does. No. But they need, they need to shine. They need opportunity to, to, to be in the spotlight on without people having to pay for it. So it's a challenge. It's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. I don't know how boxing figures it out. But the UFC, for as much shit as we give them, they got it right. Because every goddamn it card did. is entertaining
2: definitely. So all right, let's review 251 real quick um before we start wrapping up. We have Volkan Ozdemir in the um prelims main event getting worked. Hey. By Perchaska. Ozdemir might be a wrap.
3: I you know what? It's not even a...
2: Or he got to move up to heavyweight like everyone else who's on the losing streak.
3: It's not it's not even that. Perchaska's that good. Like I after we did the uh the preview, I was going to do a betting show and I didn't end up doing it this week but so I started watching his fights in Rising and I was like, "Oh shit. This guy's a problem." <laughs> I unfortunately I didn't watch enough of him in Rising. So Ozimir just fought a guy who was really fucking good. He's he came out though and he was like slow
2: and methodical and I was like, "This guy's not what he's hyped up to be." And but when he turned it on, I was like, "Ooh. Yeah. He's, a, he's like, a problem. Yeah, I was like, he is pretty damn good. He's a problem. Ozdemir though, still is not the same. Dude. I mean... Or maybe he just had a nice little run of
3: fights. Dude. And we'll talk about that. Maybe I thought he was more than what he yeah, was. We'll talk about that in a second, because there's a lot of guys, and I, the key name here is Jimmy Rivera. There are a lot of guys who've had these excellent runs. Glover Teixeira is another one. And for a minute, you go, oh, man, he's amazing. And then they get like a title fight, they get up like fight, and they lose, and then you go, oh, well, they're just really good gatekeepers. And that's Okay. And Ozdemir is one of those guys. Like, he's not going to win a title. He's just not that good. But he's good enough to challenge a lot of people. And I think that's cool. Like the, fi- Boxing, I mean boxing. MMA needs that. You need guys that, yep. you know, he doesn't, maybe he doesn't need to go to heavyweight. Maybe he needs to fight at Johnny Walker next. Because Johnny Walker's in the same boat. Had all that hype. Got his shit doused in flames. Maybe that's a fight you need to make. But there's endless possibilities for these guys.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's still top ten fighters in the world.
3: Yeah, definitely. It's just, yeah, yeah.
2: It's just, if you can't be the top two in fighting for a title shot, you're kind of in limbo. Yeah, it's
3: hard.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going to the main card, talking about someone in limbo. Surprise, surprise. Amanda Rebus beats Paige Van Zandt. <laughs> Submission, first round. Oh,
1: boy. Listen,
2: everyone's there to compete, everyone's a professional. I'm not going to shit on all the work Paige did to get into this fight. That being said, it looked like she didn't want to be there. It looked like talking about the pay, talking about treatment. I get it. It does suck. Maybe she's a bigger draw than she's been paid to be. Instagram probably does pay her more. But it seemed like once you start talking about it, you're one foot out the door. And she was one foot out the door. Granted, she got beat by someone just better than her. Amanda Rivas is better than her. But still, the performance she put up, I, I just didn't like the body language, the energy. She didn't fight like it was a do-or-die contract, my life is on the table, my next meal won't come to me if I lose this fight mentality. She didn't. She fought like I got a bunch of Instagram money in the bank.
3: Or she just fought somebody who was just a lot better her. Because <laughs> Amanda Rivas give an effort, pretty good. And I think a star was made in the process because all her interviews, her bubbly personality. Like, Amanda Rebus might be, and I'm not saying this off of looks, the cutest MMA fighter ever. Because she's always so goddamn happy. Yeah, she's happy and bubbly. And I, I love that energy because it's like like you see her go out there and she wins and she's just like smiling ear to ear and she's having a good time. That energy is, is infectious. And what she did to Paige was like, yeah, she has, she has a good time fighting. But when it was time to fight, she just busted her ass. As for Paige, I mean, I don't think, okay, she entered this fight as a plus 600 underdog, which I thought was preposterous. Like, that's ridiculous. Plus 600? Conor McGregor wasn't a plus 600 against Floyd Mayweather. And then Rebus went and proved us all wrong. She was like, no, that, yeah. she was like, that motherfucker should have been a plus 600 because watch how I dragged this motherfucker. And she went and did that. But I've never seen—I can't think of a fighter with so much promise that regressed so quickly, like Paige. There was—there's been no improvement. Granted, she has been matched up tough in a few situations, but yo, injuries to the forearm were killing. Yeah, the injuries, all that stuff. While true, I'm baffled at how much she just has shown no improvement whatsoever. She regressed. Yeah, that was not improving. It's a drastic regression. Like, it's not that she lost. I think all of us figured she'd lose to Rivas, but she just got washed.
2: Yep. I don't know. Like, it was one-way traffic from the start. Um, And then we have, in the follow-up fight, rematch of last year's strawweight championship fight. Neither of them are champions now, but it seems as though Rose Namajunas has taken another step towards getting her title back, or at least challenging for it. In which she did what she was doing the first fight to Jessica Andrade. This time she didn't get dropped on her head. Yeah. To me, that's the difference. Same fights
3: to me, exactly the same fights. She just avoided getting dropped on a noggin. She, I mean, she looked good, man. And that's the thing about Rose is when Rose is clicking, there's, there's few that can really challenge her. You saw what she did to Joanna. Uh, like she's an amazing fighter. I thought it was interesting though because a lot of people were like, oh, you know, this is, you know, she was great, but. I took a lot of stock in how much damage she took in the third round. And that made me curious because, like, well, can you fight Willie Zhang like that? I don't know. You can't take that kind of damage in the third round. and She, she got busted up pretty good in that final frame. But, nevertheless, I mean, it's Rose Damian Eunice. I, I think she's really good. I'm glad she, she won. Um, she seems back on the horse. Uh, she'll probably end up fighting Zhang next. She probably will. Because I don't – I who knows? I mean, Joanna, she's been on Instagram, like, on the beach All the damn time. But I think if Joanna doesn't get the Zhang rematch, which I think a lot of people want to see, it should go to Rose. No, I think
2: Rose should get it either way. I I think Rose has demonstrated that. Joanna, let's be fair, it was a very close fight. I thought Joanna won when I watched it the first time. I got to go back and watch it again. But Joanna has been given a lot of title shots.
3: You have a point there.
2: Like... I'm okay if Yoanna doesn't want to fight again until one of these two wins and she fights the winner. That's fine. But I don't think she gets the title shot immediately. I think Rose has earned it. Rose gets the title shot. Then the winner of that can fight Joanna
3: uh, You know what? I, I think that's fair. I'm with you on that. When you, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, Joanna has had a lot of title opportunities. And she, it wasn't like she was a champion at all. She was a challenger. So that's fair. I can go with that. Yeah, so, next up, we
2: have Petra Jan versus Jose Aldo. <sighs> I thought Aldo looked good opening this fight. I thought he was leg-kicking again. Jan had to sweep southpaw a lot. But, like many men with the, the miles Jose Aldo has, he just wore down. And by the time the fifth round came, he just didn't have enough in the gas tank and Jan was able to win by stoppage. But to me, Aldo put up good enough fight, Jan turned it up at the end, and was able to win. But I thought Aldo won the first two rounds clearly, and then the fight got away from him.
3: Well, while true, Jose Aldo is a bona fide frontrunner. He always has <laughs> been, he always will be. When I, I, I might have said this on the show, I might have said it on a different show. The minute fights became five rounds, like if you go from WEC to now, the minute like he fought Mark Hominick and had to go five rounds and realized his get, he couldn't really go five rounds, he tried to pace himself, is the minute like his fighting style changed. He started, you know, he, he, he held back. He wasn't the monster that he was in WEC. Like when he ran over Mike Brown, when he threw that flying knee to Cub Swanson's face and destroyed him, Uh, when he just kind of ransacked Uriah Faber with leg kicks. But now, he started to pace himself. And as he's gotten older, the gas tank never improved. So the the key to beating Jose Aldo is weather the storm and then beat his ass because he's going to slow down. And that's what Jan did. Kind of weathered the storm. And then we saw between rounds three and four, Aldo was slowing down. And then Jan beat the piss out of him. Now, Jose Aldo... This version of Jose Aldo is still like a top fighter. But I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know what you do with Jose Aldo at this point. Uh, You know what? I do. I know what you do with Jose Aldo at this point. He fights Dominic Cruz. That's what he does. I like it. We're just giving like the one more chance old timers?
2: Yeah, fuck it. Why not? A shot? It's a fight people would want to see. They never fought. People would pay to see that fight. Yeah, you know what? All right, I'm down. <laughs> that takes a little convincing. I'm good with that. Um, Komain, Volkanovski versus Max Holloway. Goes the distance, 25 minutes. To me and much of the world, Max Holloway won this fight. I, Max dropped him once in the first, twice in the second. Third was maybe the toss-up. Volkanovski won both of the championship rounds. I thought
3: Max did enough to win that fight. It wasn't a robbery. I had Volkanovski winning. It was close. It wasn't a ro- like people are screaming. It wasn't a, scream. It was a swing yeah. round. I just gave that swing round to Max. I mean, dude, it's not a robbery. I think it was a close enough third round that was really difficult for a lot of people to score cuz it was dependent on how you looked at it cuz Max started fast. Volkanovski closed strong. Other than that, I don't think anybody disagrees. Max Holloway won the first two rounds. Nobody disagrees with that. Volkanovski won the final three rounds on two of the score cards, and you don't, it doesn't matter how many times you drop somebody in the first round, it's still one round, and MMA's always going to have this weird scoring format, and it's going to struggle with it, so I thought Volkanovski won, I don't think it was, a if, if Max Holloway won, I wouldn't have cared, because I thought Max did enough to win as well, I just scored it for Volkanovski, but people that are yelling like robbery, no, I've seen some really fucked up scores in MMA and boxing, this wasn't one of them, It was a really close fight. That's all. And a a lot of people, this is just like everything else. A lot of people didn't really score the fight, just thought Max won. If you scored the fight, it's a little bit different. But if you just watched the fight, you would think, yeah, Max won. But there's no robbery here. It was just a really good fight.
2: Yeah, I thought it was close. I thought Max won. This is the case of, I'm not sure that division has a clear-cut next challenger. Unless she goes to beat. Yeah, you probably do end up going Zabit. If you go Zabit, cool. Do I think Zabit Kuwait? Yeah, I haven't been overly impressed in his last couple of fights. No, that's fair. I damn near might run this back
3: again with Max being down 0-2. <sighs> that's always a tough one because, yeah, you would want to do it, but, yeah. I mean, the, the the vision right now is, you know, you have Zabit, Brian Ortega, but it seems like he's on the collision course with the Korean Zombie. Um, Calvin Cater who looked phenomenal against Dan Ige, Ige last night, um, yep. And then outside of that, it's really tough because not Jeremy Stevens, not Frankie Edgar, maybe Yair and Volkanovski could be a fun fight, but it feels like Yair needs to win another fight too. Yeah, he's been he's been just out for two. Yeah, so it's like in Ortega, he just got mollywobbed by Max not too long ago. So yeah, it's Ortega and Korean Zombie. So it seems like you got to go with a beat, but if you don't go with a beat, I don't know where you go. I like Zabit Yair,
2: number one contender style, and then give me Max Volkanovski again.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, fuck. It. I wouldn't be mad for them to it's, unless you go Max Yair and Zabit Volkanovski. I really actually like that Max Yair fight. I actually like that fight a lot, a lot, a lot. It's a damn good. Fight. Yeah. Oh, that's good as hell, and Yair will have to prove it. Yeah. You got to beat somebody to get a title shot. And if is going to beat somebody, somebody. Like, I wouldn't want to see Yair fight Zabi. I don't want to see that fight. No.
2: not all Stylistically, it just yeah, makes sometimes. no sense to me right now. But, I do. Yeah, let's do it that way. Because, Max, you got to beat Yair. Korean Zombie was beating the brakes off of Yair. Until he got hit with the nastiest of elbows.
3: Yeah. One of the, still the craziest knockout I've seen. I can't <laughs> think of another one. So, before. Max. That was unbelievable.
2: Yeah. Like, Max, Go ahead. And you know, wash them up. If you if you're, and I think Max is that good, they beat him. If Yar beats Max, then completely deserved to move into that number one contender spot. So we'll see how that shakes out. But yeah, it's a division where it's like no one's really standing above clamoring to get a title fight. Um, Throws a wrench in it if Triple C says, you know what, I want that belt.
3: (sighs) I mean, this
2: is because you got to give him. No, this is the worst retirement (laughs) of all time. The worst. He trolls it every fight. Not every big, like, not every card. Every fight in 135, 145, and even, like, in Ryan Garcia. But we haven't even had a chance to miss you yet. Shut up. Like, come yeah. on. <laughs> Relax. Uh, he was like, yo, I can't wait for retirement. I get to spend all this time with my girl. I can't wait to go home. Then he retired and spent all that time with his girl. And he's like, ah, just kidding. <laughs> I need to fight again. So, yeah, listen, grass ain't always greener uh, for him. And then main event we touched on already, Jorge Masvidal, Kamara Usman, takedowns, foot stomps. It was as ugly as it had to be for Usman to win. I'm not, I don't feel sorry for people who spent $75 thinking they were going to get something hey, else.
3: Shit happens, man. Like, shit happens, and if you are a well-versed, educated MMA fan, you knew how this fight was going to play out. I mean... We talked about it last week. I said, look, Masvidal's got to knock him out. If not, he's going to get tired. And then Usman's just going to be on him. I will give credit where credit is due. Masvidal's takedown defense was excellent. But (laughs) it doesn't matter because he couldn't do anything with Usman. Usman's too fucking big. He's not fun to fight. I don't think anybody really wants to fight him. If you can't get your hands on him, you're done. I don't know who beats Usman right now. Somebody You have to catch Usman to beat him, and he's unbeaten in the UFC for a reason. Gotta start giving that man his credit. You may not like watching him fight, but let's be honest. George St. Pierre was not fun to watch. No, people have rose-colored glasses. Man. Yeah, GSP fights until, like, the, the Hendricks fight, where Hendricks was beating him up. And then George St. Pierre is like, I've had enough. I'm going to retire. Before that, GSP fights were not the shit. But he had a whole country behind him. Lay and pray. Him. Yeah, he had a whole country behind him. That was the difference. Usman doesn't have a whole country behind him, unfortunately. But he's that damn good. The challenge is finding somebody to beat him. And I don't know who that person is. I honestly do not, at this particular point in time, looking at the welterweight division, I know the Gilbert Burns matchup is a lot better. But I think he does the same to Gilbert. He's already beat Leon Edwards once. He beat Tyron Woodley. He knocked out Colby Covington. Then what? There's like Stephen Thompson. And Steve's got a way to go. I like that fight. Yeah. Wonder Boy's got to win, though. No, I like it right now. Usman has
2: beat seven of the top ten fighters. Yeah, I mean, he's fighting Gilbert Burns. Wonder Boy's now. He's in... fighting Gilbert Burns next. That's...
3: I, that's, I agree. That's what's going to happen.
2: Yeah. But I like the Wonder Boy matchup. I mean... I think that'd be one hell of a Wonder fight. Boy needs to win a fight. Who, who is he fighting next? I think he has a fight. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. I thought I saw him get scheduled for something else, so... We'll see how it pans out with Wonder Boy. Um, before we get out of here, let's touch on this weekend's card. Uh Figueroa Benavidez Figuero does not have the Rona. <laughs> Apparently not. we'll see He had the Rona. He don't got the Rona now. I don't know what he has. I don't I don't know. I haven't heard shit about it. It came out as a report earlier in the week. They said, nah, he's over it. No one asked another question. Look,
3: it just disappeared out of the news cycle. So listen, I say this. They're cool this. with it, I'm cool with it. I say this a lot. Like, I keep saying the shutter, the flyaway division. They still have fun fights. Like, you know, the Tim Elliott and Wyatt Benoit, uh, Benoit fight was really good yesterday. Uh-huh. Um, but I hate to say this. I don't care about this fight. I feel like because Figueredo... It's a title fight. I know. But I feel like because Figueroa knocked <laughs> out about. Benavidez, if, if, ben, if Benavidez wins, people are going to say, but you just got your ass knocked out. And if Figueroa wins, does anybody really care?
2: No. He, I mean, as long as he makes weight, then he's the champion. He should be already. Yo, what if he doesn't make weight? <laughs> yeah. You just got to... You... Honestly, if he doesn't make weight, you have to go down on the card, tell Askarov to fight Benavidez, and the winner of that is the champion. Figueredo goes home and doesn't get any. I
3: mean, or Pantoja... I... And Pantoja already lost, to it and he lost to this Yeah, that's why you can't well, pull. It can't be Askarov. He's not deserving of a title opportunity. No one is. Dre, the division has fourteen people. You guys rank fifteen. But at least Pantoja is, is ranked high. Sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> just, just sure. I sure. mean, Askarov, I mean, granted, Askarov's ranked seventh and. I, I don't know. I guess I'll say it because of this. Asgarov is ranked behind Figarov. I mean, I figure but behind Pantoja. But Askarov's, uh, he doesn't even have a goddamn Wikipedia page. Imagine that guy winning no, the title. But, but he has no losses. No. You could sell undefeated. It's hard. Like this flyaway division, they're fun fights, but man, they're lacking. They need more fighters. Something. Yikes.
2: Yeah, I mean, Triple C didn't get exciting until he moved up. Yeah. So that's it's, it's a tough tough game down there, man. Tough game. Uh, I would see when that Mighty Mouse contract runs out. <laughs> <And> listen, like, <laughs> Listen, man, we just got to throw you the bag. Um, so let's just pick the co-main and the main. Uh, Hermanson versus Gastelum. I'm taking Gastelum in the co-main. I think he has to shake it out. And he could be a fight, two fights away, right back into the title picture. Because he gave style better, one hell of a fight.
3: Yeah. Um I'm keeping an eye on if Gasol makes weight. That's my biggest concern heading into this fight. Even though it's at middleweight. Yeah. I was gonna say it's at middleweight, like I know, but without with the way things are right now, with the pandemic, Gasol's not a small guy, regardless of what weight class he's in. He always comes in looking a little chunky. He's not gonna be ripped heading into this fight. He should make weight. But I don't know what it's going to take for him to get down and it without a proper training camp. So I'm still picking him to win. I think he's going to be fighting the scales more than fighting Hermes. And Hermes is really good. But I think if Gaslam's on and he uses his wrestling, he should be able to win this, win this fight. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at that.
2: I know he tripped up against Darren Till. Till and Robert Werdicott look like they're in the number one contender's fight currently. But... They've done a good job of okay, Gastelum. Take a step back, and let's see if you can build yourself back up. A lot of the fighters who've been at the top as long as Gastelum have haven't don't get the opportunity to take a step back. Hermanson to me is a step back of let's see what it is because sometimes yeah, you work so hard of- to get up there. Is he?
3: Yes, Her- I mean Hermanson was on a run, and then he got knocked out by by uh, uh, Jared Cannon here.
2: Yeah, to me, that's a worse loss than losing to the champion and then losing to Darren Till.
3: I don't know, like, you know, but he's lost two in a row. It's tough. They're, I mean, they're
2: really close, and that's why yeah. they matched up. Level of competition. Yeah, <laughs> but I'll take Gaslam, and that's who are
3: you pick. I'm going to pick Gaslam. Um, I think if Gas, like I said, if Gaslam has any kind of weight issue, then I'd switch and pick Hermanson. Like if he comes in a little over, if he needs a towel or something like that, it means he has a tough weight cut. But, it's, unfortunately, it's a three-round fight. So, he should be okay. So, I'm going to pick Assam. All
2: right. Main event, Figueiredo versus Benavidez. Fuck it. I'm putting it on table. Joseph Benavidez, by the grace of God, finally wins the UFC title and cries like a baby. Yeah. Weirder I'm, shit has happened in 2020.
3: I'm, I'm picking Benavidez as well. Figueiredo won. He was overweight. We
2: fucked out. up and... Yeah, we, we messed this up the first time because we both yeah. picked Joseph Benavidez the first time too. Figured that'll knock his ass out. Yeah, yeah.
3: I'm, but I'm gonna pick Benavidez if there's any guy who has been fighting for as long and deserves the title opportunity, deserves an opportunity to win, it's Benavidez. I hope this guy wins the title. Like, and if he doesn't, this is yeah. It. If he doesn't, it's like you know what? Just I don't care how shallow this division is. This is yeah. It. This is it. You can uh, you know, Megan Olivi, your wife is doing a fantastic job, um, on television. You can chill. You can chill and watch you can yeah. watch your wife, but chilling, you know. There's nothing else for you to do. You have way too many title opportunities. You gotta get one. But I'm picking him to win. I think he, he has it in him this time.
2: No, I completely agree. I think he wins. I hope he wins for his sake, because that's pretty much, again, it's his his last last hurrah at the UFC title. Um, That's pretty much combat sports this week. We talked a ton about hip-hop earlier in the show. Talked about Nick Cannon's dumbass. When we come back on Sunday, we have a ton to talk about in pro wrestling. Woo! I can't wait to talk about AEW. Man, I've been waiting. Drop that Joe button. I, I can't wait till we record on Sunday for that show to start off next week. So make sure you guys tune in for that as well. Shout out to the sponsors. Shout out to the network, Blue Wire. If you guys want to follow more or see past episodes or just, you know, see a little bit more about us, follow the show at corner podcast, underscore me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hale. Until next week,
1: we're out. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. Gold.
3: everybody up. Messi has got
1: it! From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele. Our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. Nil, and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe. From Zlatan Ibrahimović's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire.